The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. Hey, what's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 268 for Thursday, January 23rd, 2015. I'm your host, Rich, and normally I would be giving you our call-in number at this time, but it seems that Blog Talk Radio decided to shit the bed, and uh, we can't dial into our own switchboard. So, yeah, there will be no calls this evening, unfortunately. Um, You can still participate in the chat, mtrlive.com, gfqlive.tv. You can also listen via the Mixler live feed as well. It's mixlr.com forward slash mytakeradio, which you can also stream via the Mixler app available for Android and iOS devices. So as I said earlier earlier this evening, since about 1030, 1045, we were trying to get our switchboard set up for Block Talk Radio and... Um, We dialed into the switchboard and there was no answer. So either they really hate us or something is broken. Either way, I sent them a tweet letting them know that the shit was down. But of course, after we wrap up tonight's show, they will be getting a nice lengthy email from me as usual. All right. So before we get into tonight's show, we got a couple of things I got to get out there. Usual housekeeping business. Uh, First and foremost, last night's episode, episode 267, is available for download on iTunes, Stitcher, Tune in radio and on the official My Take Radio app. The video for that show is already on the RageWorks YouTube channel and will be uploaded shortly to the um, My Take Radio YouTube channel as well. So that's at least one of the higher points of the evening. Uh, one of the good things is that uh, doing the shows twice a week, doing them a little shorter, allows us to edit them quicker and crank them out faster. Um, we do, we may have a brand new episode of Buried depending on how, how it looks. Um, I was advised by Quark and Blade that the episode is ready, but that I should listen to it first before releasing it to the general public. So take take that as you will. Um, we are also bringing back the Minority Film Report. Um, we're going to be doing a lot of stuff with that over the next couple of weeks, just trying to give you guys some, uh, some better content. And, um, you know, all I'm doing is... Uh, you know, just trying, just trying to step it up, trying to get some stuff fixed up. I know that you guys were saying that there was no video. It seems that the uh, the screen froze. We should have video now. Uh, thank you for that, Andrew. I appreciate it. 
But yes, we are uh, going to try and bring back the Minority Film Report. We're going to do more stuff with that, um, particularly uh, more audio content and maybe even some video content, depending if we are um, d- reviewing Blu-rays and DVDs. So we should be good to go with with regards to that. Um, I will say this, and this was something I noticed earlier today. Um, a lot of you guys are accessing the show via mobile. Um, according to the numbers that we've been getting, a lot of you guys are actually uh, streaming the show directly from gfqlive.tv and um, you know mtrlive.com, which is great. Uh, we definitely want to try and do more mobile stuff with you guys. Like I've said before, uh, we're also trying to make the site more mobile friendly. I mean, a lot of people are saying that it's been very mobile friendly thus far, but um, it could definitely stand to be better. So that's something we're going to be working on. And as a quick reminder, which I'm going to continue mentioning up until the 31st that we do it, um, our intentions are to merge MyTakeRadio.com with RageWorks.net. And as such, all the URLs and everything will work. They would just forward to RageWorks. RageWorks will be the central hub for everything MyTakeRadio related. All the episodes, all the videos, all that stuff will be there. Of course, you can find The Buried Show there and a couple of other shows that we are adding as well, which... um. We're going to try and make some formal announcements within the next couple of days once the system is fully operational. So little tease there for that. Uh, I will say this, and this was something that, um, you know, somebody actually asked me about earlier today, and they wanted to know what's happening with all the, the original content that's been on MyTakeRadio.com. We have been migrating that over to RageWorks.net. So some of the posts that you like, uh, some of the you know, certain features, certain reviews, things like that. They will be moved over to RageWorks. Um, There definitely won't be too many formatting alterations because MyTakeRadio.com has almost 3,000 posts. So the migration process has been a bit lengthy. But most of the core stuff will be there. You know, the buried columns, uh, Slick's reviews, his game reviews and movie reviews. Uh, The same for myself. And certain pieces of news are going to be there as well. So, Again, just a a couple of updates with regards to that stuff. Again, full integration, our target date is January 31st. That means that by February 1st, everything will be going to RageWorks. Again, if that should change, keep an eye out on our social media accounts, either at MyTakeRadio or at Rage underscore Works on Twitter, or of course, via Facebook, either via the MyTakeRadio fan page or the RageWorks fan page. All right, so what do we got on deck for tonight? Well, Let's uh, we're going to get into the big Microsoft announcement, what that means for gamers. And there's a lot of cool stuff that really, really blew my mind out of that announcement. A lot of people were very quick to jump into the, you know, into the proverbial pool by saying that, oh, you know, Microsoft is being real reactionary because Apple is kicking their ass and and blah, blah, blah. And this is what I have to say with regards to that. And I continue to stand by this. I am not a loyalist to any particular platform. I am a fan of the platform that allows me to get the job done, period. Whether it's a Mac or or a Windows device or a combination of the two, hell, or even a a Google Chrome device, the fact is that we we use a lot of different technology here at MyTakeRadio. Slick can vouch for that. And, um, you know, there's, there's no loyalty for anything. And on the contrary, I like the advancements. I like the continued growth amongst all these companies, because at the end of the day, and I say this all the time and I can't stress it enough, the people that benefit are us, the users and consumers. 
I mean, you know, getting the brand new Windows operating system for free is very, very nice. You know, I mean, I'm sure it's going to have its fair share of bugs, but at least, you know, it's going to be free and people are going to be able to jump into the beta sooner rather than later, which is definitely a nice touch. Uh, The integration with Xbox, of course, should not be a shock to anyone. But the thing that I do have to say, and this is something that really jumped out, is the fact that the the holo, the holographic technology that they had on display, which I'll dig into later on in the gaming segment, was really really innovative. It was really, it it had me intrigued. It had me excited at just how far technology is going. And um, before you know it, it's going to be pretty much like Tony Stark in the Iron Man movies with screens just floating in the air and us moving shit around. We're there. Trust me. We're. It's it's closer than we think, and um, I'm really excited, and I can't wait to get into that stuff with you guys. I'm really bummed that the, uh, like I said, the switchboard was down because it would at least allow some of you guys to call in and share your thoughts. But I will definitely be watching the chat very carefully to share some of the feedback from the chat room with the rest of our listening and viewing audience. All right, so let's get that ball rolling. Let's jump into the gaming side of things. Like I said, we got some really cool things I want to discuss, so let's get into it, shall we? All right, so first and foremost, this is this is the this big piece of news um was something that I wanted to open up with because this shouldn't come as a shock to any of you guys, but it's still pretty cool nonetheless. So, Activision reported that Call of Duty Advanced Warfare was their top-selling console game of 2014, and Skylanders Trap Team was the top-selling kids game of the year. Advanced Warfare was on top of both U.S. and worldwide charts. Call of Duty, of course, is the number one franchise now for the sixth year in a row. Skylanders is the number one kids franchise of the year and worldwide for the third year in a row in both the toy and accessory category. Uh, definitely a, a very impressive statistic. Of course, we could say and and we can talk shit about Call of Duty all we want, but the game does move plenty of volume. And considering that it's been the number one franchise for six years running, is pretty much a testament that people are very loyal to the series, are willing to spend their money and engage with the series, and Activision will gladly take that money from you. Now. Of course, there are a lot of questions that can be asked with regards to, you know, there's a, there's other great games that are out there. Why aren't those games gaining the same level of market share? And the first and easy answer is the fact that people are they're they're, they're very comfortable in something that they know all too well. It's like Madden. We've talked about Madden numerous times on the show and Madden for the last I, I want to say five, five or six years it's pretty much the same game with very, very minimal improvements other than, you know, some graphic, cha- you know, some graphical improvements depending on the hardware and maybe one or two subtle changes in gameplay. But overall, Madden has remained unchanged. And, you know, Call of Duty, Halo, I mean, they're all first person shooters and the general premise is the same. But in Call of Duty, it's, you know, you shoot the you shoot terrorists, you shoot zombies, wash, rinse and repeat, of course. The, the driving point for those games has always been the multiplayer aspect, which, of course, is definitely a factor in considering how well it sold. But I wanted to open up with that because a lot of people, you know, they 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 extol the virtues of 
of Halo or Gears of War or a, a bunch of other franchises that while they are strong, they definitely are nowhere near where Call of Duty is right now. So congrats to the crew at Activision, even though, like I've said before, you know, Call of Duty is essentially the same game with a different skin. So, you know, like I said, take that for what it's worth, but it's an interesting, excuse me, it's an interesting statistic, and it's something that they could definitely boast about for the foreseeable future. Now, another company that was in the news this week, and this company we haven't heard a peep out of since the bubble for this particular game genre burst in, um, you know, early 2013. Um, Basically, this genre, which we're going to get into in Slick, Slick knows this genre as well because he kind of got into it with me at one point, um, really hit its stride right before 2010, started uh, petering out in 2010, and by 2013, it was dead. And that genre is the music game genre. We all know how it started. It started with Guitar Hero, uh, DJ Hero, Rock Band, Dance Party, Dance Central, all the music and rhythm games and that genre uh, prior to 2010 was was uh, embraced by everyone. People were playing Rock Band constantly. Guitar Hero, you know, Slick and I can attest to a couple of, uh, of really good games of DJ Hero. And um, the fact is that the, that the genre itself was incredibly profitable, not only for the companies that put out the games, but for the music industry themselves, because they were able to, you know, get product tie-ins and get certain artists' music in these games. And in doing so, it allowed them to also splinter that out and create special versions of, um, you know, special versions. You know, you had the Beatles rock band and, you know, Guitar Hero rock so what ended up happening was right bef- right around 2009, early 2010, there was such an overabundance of musical games that people just got tired of it. Not to mention the fact that there was also the nickel and diming of DLC, which in my opinion, while it was, you know, it's acceptable, it really was out of control when it came to the music genre, strictly because it allowed developers and companies to omit certain games. And before you know it, people people really lost out on just being able to really enjoy the experience. Slick mentions DJ Hero. I mean, I I I bought the the special edition Jay-Z and Eminem edition and um you know, I had a really good time with the game. It was fun. They had some really good music on there, not just the 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 Eminem and Jay-Z tracks, but just a lot of the songs in general were really good and you know, we had a lot of fun playing those games. You know, people would come over, we'd we'd crank out the fake turntable and we'd really, really enjoy ourselves. Of course, DJ Hero 2 came out. And, um, you know, DJ Hero 2, definitely not as well received as DJ Hero 1. But like I said, that was when the swan song of the music game genre was was really just at its at its peak. It was really just the end of the line. DJ Hero 2, I think within the first three months of the game being out, was already down to half price at one point. Nowadays, you can pick up the game maybe for 10 or 12 bucks. And even the DJ controllers themselves, you know, you can find them in most uh, GameStops and and used retailers for for decent money if you want to relive those days. Well, funny thing is that Harmonix actually released uh, the some uh, Rock Band DLC um, for the first time within 21 months this past week, which is very interesting. They also released an email. They also released, excuse me, a survey via email and Twitter 
just asking people about what they would like to see in a brand new rock band title. Now, let's let's look at this from the standpoint of just music as a whole. Music has evolved substantially from 2010 to now, and I say this because music is more accessible between services like Spotify, uh, Pandora, TuneIn Radio, Groove Shark. There's so many ways for you to just access uh, genuine music that we're not really enamored with buying single tracks here and there unless it's via iTunes for our iPods or iPhones. But it's not it's not at the same level that it that streaming has has become over the last few years. Now, looking at something like this for for Rock Band, you know, you have two next gen consoles, well, three counting the Wii U, and the fact is that those games weren't exactly known for breathtaking graphics or or anything, you know, anything remotely redeeming other than the song catalog. So I, I want to pose it to you guys. Um, if a brand new rock band was released on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One and even the Wii U, what would you guys like to see in that type of a game? Because I know I see Mortis mentioning Rocksmith and Rocksmith actually was interesting because Rocksmith genuinely taught you to play an instrument. And um, it had it had its fair share of detractors, but there were a lot of people that really thoroughly enjoyed that game. But seeing something like Rock Band, you know, in an era where, you know, online gaming and gaming with your friends is such a big thing. I'm curious as to what you would feel would make a new Rock Band stand out, um, especially now with, like I said, just a. The, the evolution of the medium, not only from the musical standpoint, but just even with interactions like between Xbox Live and PlayStation 4 and, you know, the party rooms and just being able to, to game with your friends. I'm curious to hear what you guys got to say. Feel free to sound off in the chat and, um, you know, I'll definitely read that on air. Uh, Mortis adds a uh, free rock band with DLC songs would probably go well in this gaming era. You know, the, the free to play model which you know, I have a love-hate relationship with, uh, with, you know, using Killer Instinct as the example, it does have its place, and Mortis definitely brings up something good in a free rock band with DLC, because at that point, you can play the game, maybe you get five or six free songs, and then you can start selling song packs or single songs, but at least that initial investment is is not, you know, it's it's not so crazy. You don't got to go and drop the 60 bucks Maybe you can go and buy a brand new guitar controller that may look a little bit more realistic for the next gen systems. But I think that the approach that Mortis is recommending is is something that I would I would welcome. I mean, it's no different than, um, you know, uh, the the DC Universe online, which is free to play up until a certain point where, you know, you want to max out stats or get certain levels or certain skins the, it's it's a it's a solid free to play model and it's it's definitely a model that still has an audience. Slick writes that he'd like to see Hendrix, The Doors, and Lenny Kravitz. I think that would be really cool. I think those are artists whose music definitely would pick up a lot of fans if it was available on you know a platform such as PlayStation Four and Xbox One with that type of a medium. I think those are both solid recommendations for me personally. I really feel that. If people had individual instruments, you should be allowed to play the game with those instruments as a group and not have it be local. In in other words, if I'm if I'm on a guitar and say Slick has a drum controller and maybe Mortis wants to get in on it 
and he has, you know, a, a bass guitar. It shouldn't be that you all have to be in the same room. Maybe you can hop in and play together just by, you know, jumping in, picking the song, setting up the room, and everybody plays together. I think that's that would be really cool. I also think that um, more interaction with things like the Kinect and the PlayStation camera tying into the stuff that's going on screen would also be good because, again, those are those are elements that... um. You know, those are elements where people, it really just gives us something different, something unique. And, you know, it's it, it's something that may give the genre a shot in the arm. As I said, this was all very informal. The, uh, the survey, of course, everything else, you can take it with a grain of salt. But I will say I will say that, you know, the DLC being released for Rock Band 3 is is pretty is a pretty big deal and definitely shows that Harmonix still has some love for the series. Um, again, I definitely am going to try and, and pose that also on our Facebook fan page because I'm curious to see what you guys would 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 want to see. And I know some of the some of the people catch the show on the archive, so I definitely am going to try and pose that on our Facebook fan page and see what you guys got to say. We are we're talking about Nintendo this week. Um, for a couple of reasons, Nintendo had a pretty big announcement with regards to them shutting down their club Nintendo loyalty program. Now, when this was announced, a lot of people took to social media, took to the forums, took to Reddit, and there was just a lot of, of backlash and anger at Nintendo. And the, the funny thing was that I said to myself, as I read the announcement that people are getting angry, but it's not like they're doing away with the program. They're just evolving it and creating something new. Um, in an article from Coming Soon, they actually elaborated on it quite a bit by saying that um, uh, the service provided, obviously, users with downloadable games, Nintendo posters, or character figures in exchange for coins received by registering products or completing surveys. Now, members in the U.S. and Canada, which which are still using the service can continue to get coins through March and redeem them until the end of June as probably. And I, and I, and I'm sure it'll happen at E3. If not sooner, a new customer, a new customer loyalty program will be announced. Now, obviously there were some physical rewards that Nintendo has announced that they will be offering in February. And, um, you know, they got, they got some decent stuff there, but what I do want to see is that what I would what I would like to say is that Nintendo has always been a company that they take something away and either they improve it and create something better or what they do is if the fans or or the the community are are, are frustrated they find ways to to really just kind of soften the blow. Don't get me wrong, getting the free games, getting all the stuff for from Club Nintendo, it, it's great, but like anything else, the medium has to evolve. I mean, the same thing can be said for for Xbox Live on the Xbox One service or the PlayStation Network. Things are they they need to improve and Nintendo's program has been active, you know, for for well over 6 years. And again, you know, they're going to fold it up, create something new, and I'm sure the fans will probably enjoy it and benefit more from whatever new offerings Nintendo has. But I will remind you guys just as I said before, that you can still collect coins through the month of March and you can redeem them until the end of June. But again, be advised that the club Nintendo program, they are pulling the plug. 
I'm sure this next bit of news is going to ruffle Slick's feathers just because I know Slick has love-hate relationships when it comes to, um, you know, special editions of games. And they are releasing a special edition of Borderlands called the Handsome Jack Collection or the Handsome Collection. It's going to include the entire story of Handsome Jack and includes both Borderlands 2 and Borderlands the pre-sequel. Now, the funny thing is it's also including all the DLC, which is which has a hundred dollar value. And that's going to be sold for fifty nine ninety nine. But they're also releasing a limited edition collector's edition that's going to have the clap trap in a box edition. That's going to feature all the stuff I mentioned before and also a genuine remote controlled clap trap robot, a collectible steel case, 12 exclusive lithographs. And um, you can actually control the robot with your smartphone. And um, it also says lines in character and can live stream video to any mobile device. It's limited, though, to 5,000 copies and is available for pre-order starting today for a price of, get this, $399. So if you want a Claptrap robot, you're going to need to drop 400 bucks to pre-order it or you're going to have to fall victim to the eBay resellers, which I'm sure are going to sell it for five and six and seven hundred bucks. But as always, I would recommend you check your local mom and pop establishments that may get one or two as well. And if you want to pick it up, I recommend you get on it sooner rather than later, because Dark Helmet in the chat is saying that those are already sold out. So again, fish around, check your local retailers, grease a few palms and who knows, maybe you'll get lucky and you'll be able to pick up that, uh, you know, that special edition. Now, of course, we've talked about special editions on air and we've said that, it, you know, sometimes they're really good. Sometimes they just really take advantage of the consumers and you don't really get a lot of value. But $399, you are getting a, a pretty decent sized uh, robot that you're able to control with the smartphone, does the live streaming, of course, um, you know, through its eye, plus all the lithographs. I mean, there's a lot of value there. I I felt the same way about, you know, some of the Assassin's Creed box sets that were a little overpriced, but the stuff that they included was pretty awesome. Um, one of one of the things that I really liked was, you know, Assassin's Creed three, you got the statue, you got the flag, you got the season pass, the game, all that stuff. It was it was really cool. And I didn't get in on it when it dropped, but you can still find people selling the sets piecemeal without the game or in some instances with the game. And most times it's no higher than 50 bucks. Mind you, it was being sold at for 149 at the time. So if you want to get in on it, like I said, check your local mom and pop, see if some other stores are going to carry it and get those pre-orders in. Like I said, it's 399. You can pick that up. And if you don't want the, the robot or any of that, you can still pick up the, um, the handsome Jack edition for 59.99 when it drops, um, on March 24th in the U S and March 27th internationally so make a note on your calendars for that of course and 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 this shouldn't come as a shock because you know once we get into the new year uh, we start getting news items that you'd think they would reserve them for e3 but people want to ride that wave of momentum into e3 on a high note so bethesda actually released a new cinematic trailer for the elder scrolls online Tamriel Unlimited, which is the console version of the Elder Scrolls. Now, what they're doing with this version of Elder Scrolls is you're going to get all the content from the PC and Mac versions of the game with no monthly fee. 
They're going to release it on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One on June 9th and on PC and Mac on March 17th. There's also going to be a special premium exclusive subscription, which is going to allow you to get in-game content, including free in-game currency and also extra character progression bonuses. So if you are a fan of the Elder of the Elder Scrolls series and you want to get in on it on your console, mark down June 9th on your calendars to get the special Elder Scrolls Online Tamriel Unlimited Edition. For, for me personally, I think that we're going to continue to see, especially with, like I said, the announcements from Microsoft, we're going to start seeing a lot more PC titles or or PC-centric titles make their way to consoles. Um, you know, we've already seen, like I said, it's slowly happening with with Diablo, which I feel that D- Diablo was a test run. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if if within the next five years we see World of Warcraft being, uh, being available on consoles with cross-platform play between Xbox and PC. It would not shock me in the least. And I feel that... That alone is going to definitely change the landscape of gaming, especially, like I said, with some of the stuff that Microsoft announced, which I'm going to get into momentarily. I will say this. The relationship and the synergy that's being established between the PC and the Xbox One is something that I felt should have been done in the in the console's infancy, meaning that we should have started seeing integrations like that on the Xbox 360 just because so many games that were available on the 360 became available on PC, not to mention that you were essentially taking the same controller and modifying it for PC use, and people were using it for that as well. I think that this evolution is just natural progression, and I felt this should have been done sooner versus now, where I kind of feel it's a bit reactionary, but still, I think as as a gamer, this opens up the floodgates to play with with new individuals, uh, you know, create new relationships, try out new games, and just go beyond the comfort zone of what's on Xbox Live and the people you deal with locally there. Now, with regards to to Windows 10, and you know, I I feel that that the making it free was definitely just a big salvo fired by Microsoft, uh, you know, just against Apple because Apple's updates for, for their Mac OS systems, um, for OS X are not, they're not very expensive. You know, they might be 50, 60 bucks. In some cases they are free. And I think when it came to windows and just the ecosystem of windows and the fact that these games, uh, excuse me, these games, these operating systems were, you know, hundreds upon hundreds of dollars, you had seven or eight versions Slick can attest to this because, you know, we've built our fair share of of PCs together and it's a matter of which version of Windows are you going to get? Are you going to make the jump to seven? Are you going to make the jump to eight? Are you getting professional, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this this was definitely an issue, especially now with Windows 8, because, again, too many versions and, you know, you had Windows 8 then you had Windows 8.1 and you just continue to divide the landscape and piss people off. I mean, there was a brief time where I owned the Surface RT, which came with Windows RT. And even though it was a decent experience, there were a lot of things that were lacking. And um, I kind of felt that it was just pushing you out, you know, pushing you out the door to get a more advanced Surface tablet. Same thing with, um, you know, Windows 8.1 with Bing, which I felt was stupid. 
what Microsoft succeeded in doing with this announcement was that they created one unified platform, meaning Windows 10. That's the name. Not just it's not Windows Mobile. It's not when you know Windows this, Windows that. It is Windows 10 across the board. Meaning your PC will have Windows 10. If you get a Windows Phone, it's Windows 10. If you have a Surface Pro, it is Windows 10, all across the board. And I think that that was one of the things that was a big issue um, with Microsoft and just their mobile uh, platform because you had you know, Windows Mobile, then you had Windows RT, Windows 8, Windows 8.1, then you ha- obviously had Home Edition, Professional Edition, etc., etc., etc. I think that you just muddied up the water so much that people people just decided to not even upgrade. I mean, I can vouch and I can attest to not upgrading from Windows 7, which is what I currently have, to 8 or 8.1 because I knew that as negatively as you know as negative as the response was to that operating system Microsoft was going to try and create something better and we've seen this happen before it went from XP which everybody loved to Vista which everybody hated and then to 7 which everybody loved and then obviously to 8 everyone hated and now 10 i mean it it almost feels like every other oper- every other OS uh, let me rephrase that Every other operating system release is the operating system you need to make the jump to. I mean, I like I said, I saw a lot of great stuff at Windows 10. And um, if you're interested in trying it out, it's going to be available to Windows insiders that are part of the insiders program beginning next week. Um, the first phones that are going to be built with Windows 10 will be available in February. Uh, Slick says Windows 8.1 should never have been a retail release. I like eight. Eight is the most stable yet. You know, Slick was a big, mo- uh, a, a big, um, a big factor in me even contemplating making the jump to eight because when I built the new rig for the show, he said to me, "Hey, man, I'm gonna pull the trigger in the new machine. I'm gonna build it with eight. And I said, "All right, dude, be my guest. Good luck." And to be honest, he's he hasn't he hasn't reached out to me complaining about it in the least. He even writes in the chat. I only had one blue screen of death in like four years. And, um, you know, that's, that's a, that's a, you know, it's a big boast. But for me, I just felt that, um, at this time with the hardware that we were using for the show, making the jump to eight at this time would have just wasn't conducive to what we were trying to accomplish. Now the jump to 10 is a little different because the, the upgrade will be free and, By that point, I think that a lot of the stuff that they're going to start rolling out is going to start being made more and more compatible with the brand new ecosystem that Microsoft created. Like I said, when they announced it today, everyone was super excited. I mean, everyone from the media to developers to consumers to media personalities, everybody was saying, wow, they finally they finally got their head out of their ass and figured out what they're going to do now. You're probably asking yourself, what else is coming along the pipe with Windows 10 and how will it impact gamers? Well, before I get into the gaming side of things, I do want to say that obviously you're going to get a brand new Microsoft Office, which is going to be Office 2016. And um, the other thing, which is which is insane, and this is what kind of got the ball rolling. It was that they're releasing Fable Legends, right, on 
for Windows 10, and it will be available for crossplay. Excuse me, it's gonna it's gonna be available for crossplay alongside Xbox One. Also, Windows 10 will have um, Xbox One game streaming, meaning that you can take games from Xbox One, stream them to your Windows 10 laptop desktop. In addition to that, you're going to have DirectX 12 for gaming, and that's going to be compatible with Microsoft's hologram project. And in addition to that, and this is the thing that got me, like I said, it's a full unified platform, which again is 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 huge. It's going to come integrated with Cortana, which is Microsoft's answer to Siri. Of course, there is that Halo reference there as well. But this is this is the advancement of just the medium as a whole. Like I said, being able to stream a console game to a PC may not be the best thing, but again, it just shows forward thinking and the the necessity for evolution from a company like Microsoft, which a lot of people complain that they really don't try to innovate. I feel that with Steve Ballmer's departure, we started seeing Microsoft take some gambles. Um, you know, like I said, the Surface experiment as as a former Surface owner. I felt that they were close. They were close. I, I've been an iPad owner. I own an Android tablet. And now I own a Windows Mobile, um, uh, correction, a Windows uh, 8 hybrid uh, tablet P, uh, laptop combo. And I will say that, uh, again, there it's baby steps. It's not, you're not revolutionizing the, the world immediately. But the big things that came out of that, like I said, cross-platform play. The ability to play games with uh, with people on the PC is is a is tremendous. Not only that, the the streaming from console to PC for me and for those that are streaming that are streaming enthusiasts, whether it's on Twitch or any of these other services, you're gaining another tool in your arsenal to step up your presentation of of whatever you're doing. So I do feel that there's a lot of there's a lot of pros there, which um like I said, is, is just tremendous. As for Fable Legends, you're getting cross-platform multiplayer between Xbox One and Windows 10. Uh, Phil Spencer said that Fable Legends will have DirectX 12 support on Windows 10 as well. Plus, the Windows 10 Xbox app will allow you not only to access your friends list, messages, and activity feed, but like I said before, you can stream installed Xbox One games right to your PC or tablet. And of course, the game DVR feature will be there to record gameplay as well. Now, the DirectX 12 programming interface is probably uh, some seeing the visuals that they had was tremendous. Um, you know, Slick makes a, a lot of valid points. Uh, the first thing before I continue that Slick mentions is I will only go to 10 when I change my motherboard, CPU or GPU. He also went on to say, you know, obviously the streaming is if you only have Xbox One. Um, you know, he said a cross-platform is not new, um, you know, obviously because PlayStation does it as well. Mortis um, included some stuff in there, a couple of links for you guys that are in the chat. Um, Slick also added that it will be a big if all games are cross-platform. Um, for me... You know, and this is this is why I, I'm I'm annoyed I don't have the switchboard. Slick makes some valid points um, with regards to PlayStation and the fact that yes, PlayStation Four has been doing cross-platform, and you know 
it's it's something that's not new. But like I said, for Microsoft, a company that's so I, I, I look at Microsoft like this. They're like this they're like this notepad. You know, just regular, real basic, unobtrusive. They get the job done. You could write on it, you could draw on it, whatever the case may be, but it's still just a notepad. Microsoft was the same way. Microsoft, they created operating systems. They created Microsoft Office. You had Internet Explorer. That was it. They stepped into into the mobile marketplace with, with their Windows mobile offerings, and the bulk of the stuff that they put out was garbage. Let's be honest. The old incarnations of Windows mobile were complete shit. I had a Motorola MPX220 that ran on Windows mobile. It was terrible. Meanwhile, you know, the Windows mobile experience that's available now isn't so bad. On the contrary, very simple, uh, definitely great for people that are older because all the information is available at a glance. Yes, they're not they're not leading the way with cross platform gameplay or, or they're not really innovating because they're adopting stuff that should have been adopted back then but i do i do applaud them like i said i can't sit here and say that this in these innovations are bad and i can't speak ill of them because again it's moving technology forward cross-platform play yes you can do it with your with your playstation vita your playstation tv and your playstation 3 that's great but being able to do it with a pc or a laptop or a tablet opens up a realm of very interesting possibilities, not to mention the fact that Windows just has a bigger footprint. It does. All my all the computers in my office run Windows. You got a couple of guys that got their MacBooks, but we all run Windows. The bulk of, of infrastructures that are out there run Windows. And again, I'm not I'm not jumping into the rah rah Windows camp. I'm not doing it. But but again, I'm not going to sit here and say that the innovations are are shitty because, again, it's it's something it shows that the company is moving forward. You know, uh, Satya Nadella uh, doing a great job trying to really step their game up, trying to be competitive. Hell, even the um, the Surface three. Don't get me wrong. It's expensive as fuck really is. It is an expensive piece of equipment, but but. And this, I, I got to stress, and it's not game related, but I got to stress this. That is a piece of hardware that is made to compete with high end laptops. You know, people, people are like, yo, I'm not going to pay $800 for a tablet. It is not a tablet. It is a full functioning laptop replacement. This is for the guys that are on the fence about picking up a MacBook Air or picking up a regular laptop. I mean, one of the running gags with a lot of Apple users is that the best Windows PC is a Mac, you know? And at the, for for those people, there is a welcome alternative. Like I said, I owned a Surface and it was okay. The gaming was decent. Uh, don't get me wrong, the gaming wasn't great, but it was also limited by the hardware that was at play. But I will say this. There was potential there. And with the with the Surface Pro, the Surface 2 and now the Surface Pro, you see that the, the things are evolving and a couple of different sites today. We're talking about 
the fact that Microsoft is starting to innovate and Apple is just, you know, they're, 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 they're biding their time, which is interesting because like I said, the, the hologram, the hologram interface that Microsoft showcased today was, was truly, um, it really was innovative because it's going to allow users to interact with a digital environment with, um, the technology, the hardware is a Microsoft HoloLens which will boot up Hollow Studio and create holograms that can be 3D printed. Imagine these implement th- this technology implemented not just from a gaming standpoint, but from a business standpoint, from a medical standpoint. Let's let's look at it from a business standpoint. Say say you run a little Etsy store that sells tchotchkes and you want to try and expand and create cooler stuff and you want to ch- you want to do that and you're feeling like you want to take that gamble and you got some disposable income. You're going to want to try that and, and, and create new things. But, you know, that's just one application. For me, I looked at it more so from amputees, people that are with missing limbs. I mean, I've seen so many great innovative things done with 3D printers, especially for children. I saw a little boy whose arm, whose arm was missing, and they created an Iron Man-style uh, prosthetic hand for him, which was really cool. And don't get me wrong, it's it's the it's geeky and it's not, you know, it's not super, you know, not not the best use of of that technology again, depending on who you ask, but I will say that the ability to apply something like this in a bigger capacity speaks speaks to me on a on a bigger level outside of just gaming. Again, to to be able to to have 3D holograms at your disposal. Again, like the stuff you see in Iron Man and in the Avengers that type of stuff, you know, when, when Tony Stark was working on the arc reactor and he was stretching out the diagram of the world's fair to see the technology, to build the brand new arc reactor and to stop the progression of his illness in Iron Man two, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. That's, that's the implementation. That's, that's the bigger picture. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, there's always going to be, um, uses that are, you know, mundane and bullshit, and yes, I'm sure they'll find a way to apply it uh, to gaming, but I just look at it from an outsider's point of view. In other words, how can this technology benefit the world at large? And yeah, it kind of kind of falls outside of the scope of gaming, but that was really the the piece of tech that blew my mind during that entire announcement. Don't get me wrong, the cross-platform game, the the gaming was great, and I felt that it was it was truly a step in the right direction, but the the holographic technology that was at work really just opened my eyes and said that we are, that we're, we're really on the verge of some really, really great stuff that from a technological standpoint. Now, gaming wise, I will say this, Microsoft continues to have an uphill climb given that PlayStation four still has a stranglehold on the gaming industry. But like anything else, it's it's in cycles and i've seen during the last couple of months especially when it comes to npd numbers that microsoft is gaining some traction at the end of the day the 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 factor that's gonna that's gonna shift the tide one way or the other is going to be games and the more cross-platform stuff that's available the more level the playing field is it's gonna be the 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 halos the uncharted's the god of war you know those those unique system exclusive franchises that are going to shift the pendulum one way or the other i mean you know grabbing street fighter from xbox and only having it having it exclusively on playstation 4 even if it's for a limited time 
you're going to gain a different level of insertion because think about it the the pro gaming circuit you know the capcom cup evo all of that it's all going to be powered by playstation consoles unless of course you want to play the older stuff which has its place but the playstation 4 will be the driving force for a lot of that stuff and that is huge you can't you can't sweep that under the rug but when it comes to first person shooters obviously people feel that xbox has the stronger footprint i mean i'm if you guys agree by all means feel free to sound i mean excuse me if you guys disagree feel free to share your thoughts in the chat but for me i do feel that the the gaming the the console playing field is very very level at the present moment because there haven't been that many titles that has sh- that have shifted the numbers in such a way where you know there was just a tremendous boost in sales because think about it i talked about call of duty at the beginning of the segment and call of duty <clears throat> excuse me call of duty is a game that was available on every system and it was purchased on every system but when you look at a game like halo for instance for for halo to become to dethrone a game like call of duty on one system that would be a statistic that would open up a lot of people's eyes and really show that the property is stronger based on the fact that it exists on one platform. And that's really not the case. Think about it. A game like Uncharted is, you know, tailor tailor made for the PlayStation 4 because it's a game that is exclusive to the PlayStation 4. So it's going to maximize the system hardware to to the utmost capacity versus some third-party title that may or may not harness the power fully. And this is this is the kind of stuff that yeah it's a little tech a little techy a little inside but it's stuff that people need to be, pay attention to because this is what's going to affect the shift in technology for the foreseeable future the integration of stuff like the PlayStation TV service um, things like uh, Xbox being available on PC and tablet those are big things and those are big shifts because things are being leveled out. Now it becomes a question of which system provides the more more perks and bonuses and more um, first party titles that can gain that can gain your dollars. That's really it. And for me, you know, I, I've always been a multi platform owner. I still am. I mean, I bought an Xbox One first, and I own a couple of games on it. I own a couple of games on the PlayStation Four. I still got to pick up a Wii U, which is still on my radar because again, there's there's a shift in different games that I want to play on each system. It's it's that simple. Anyway, let me uh let me shift gears a little bit and go into this next story because um of course, new consoles mean new Dragon Ball Z games. Uh the next game Dragon Ball Xenoverse um will be released February 27th, but without the game even hitting stores yet, there's already DLC that's been announced. There's going to be 3 post-launch DLC packs, which are going to add new characters, more costumes, and new missions. Now, each DLC pack will be available for $10, or, of course, you can buy them with the season pass for $25. Now, the first DLC pack is scheduled to be released in March, and it will contain three playable characters, GT Goku, Pan, and GT Trunks. You're also going to get four Time Patrol quests, 12 regular quests plus 15 special moves for players avatars and five costumes 
the other two release uh, the other two DLC packs do not have a release date as of yet. As for the game itself, like I said, Dragon Ball's Xenoverse, uh, excuse me, Dragon Ball Z Xenoverse will be available on PlayStation 4, PlayStation 3, Xbox One, Xbox 360, and on the PC via Steam with a, uh, like I said, a release of February 27th. Now, the uh, the thing that gets me was the ability to create your own character, which I actually liked. Um, you can create a custom character, have them travel through, through time in the single-player campaign, and you'll be able to fight all the iconic Dragon Ball Z characters. So, if you feel you want to create, I don't know, a female Super Saiyan, you can. Maybe you want to create an African-American Super Saiyan or, or, you know, a brown Super Saiyan. You know, whatever the case may be, you'll be able to do that, which I think is a pretty cool um, addition to a series that really kind of is, that, that's got a little long in the tooth over the last couple of years. And, and that's something, Dragon Ball Z games, as much as I'm a sucker for buying them most of the time, I do feel that they're pretty much, there's no real, they, they don't move it forward. They either rehash all the existing Dragon Ball Z sagas, drop you in them, and then have you fight your way through, or they just take every character in existence, toss it in a game, and let you duke it out, which is fine, but, you know, there's there's got to be something else you can do with the series, and I think creating your own characters and kind of jumping into it on your own is a welcome departure from, you know, picking Goku, fighting through all the usual guys, and that's it. I mean... Slick uh, Slick puts in the chat, fuck that. Who wants to use little kid Goku? And um, again, you know, those DLC packs, make a, make of it what you will. But I do think that $10, you get three characters and then a whole bunch of ancillary shit. I have a feeling that they're going to save the better stuff for the other DLC packs. And at this rate, and, and this has been happening quite often, you might as well just wait because I'm sure it'll get discounted. I mean... Uh, during PlayStation's anniversary sale on the PlayStation Network, a lot of DLC and even a lot of games were heavily, heavily discounted. But again, that's one of those things where, you know, it's going to be uh, um, your your mileage may vary in the sense that you may pick up the game and the game may be shit. And at that point, it's it's you know, it, it, it's going to affect the longevity of the series. I mean, I've seen a couple of trailers. It looks incredibly promising but they all look incredibly promising. Then you play it and um, and you want to and you want to just toss the you want to just toss the games out the window. Slick writes, "I bet you that GT Goku cannot go Super Saiyan 4." You know what's funny? I bet you that Super Saiyan 4 Goku will be available in the second DLC pack and then the third DLC pack will be Super Saiyan God Goku Beerus and Beerus is like his uh his number 2 guy. That's the kind of shit that I see happening. But again, I could be wrong. I mean, we'll see what happens. Like I said, the game drops February 27th. Uh, The last uh, bit of news I want to share with you guys is that Nintendo has opened pre-orders for Kirby and the Rainbow Curse and Mario Party 10. And um, if you're interested in picking up either of those games, Kirby is going to run you $40. It's pretty much the same price that Captain Toad Treasure Tracker currently has. Uh, Mario Party 10 is going to run you 50. Um, the Kirby game will be released in stores on February 20th and Mario Party 10 will be available on March 20th. Now, this Kirby game stylistically is similar 
to Kirby's Canvas Curse, which is an early, which is a game that was released on the DS. Um, you're going to be in a textured world, uh, moving Kirby through it, and obviously trying to, um, you know, utilize that on the Wii on the Wii U tablet is going to be very, very interesting. Uh, the Mario Party game, um, they're adding Bowser into the mix for the multiplayer, and up to four other players can become can be involved. Uh, trying to avoid Bowser's attacks and making it through the board game. So there you have it. Um, again, um, if you're if you're interested in the Amiibos, um, the Kirby Rainbow Curse game, of course, will utilize Kirby, Meta Knight, and the King Day Day Amiibos. So if you're in the market for those and you want to pick up the game, I recommend you start grabbing those Amiibos sooner rather than later because I have a feeling they will continue to become more scarce. All right, there you have it. Um, a pretty light gaming segment this week. Like I said, the uh, the Microsoft news was was some of the bigger stuff. I know that uh, we got Dying Light coming out next week. Our very own Slick is probably chomping and itching at the bit to play the game. He has been sharing a lot of assets with you guys from the Dying Light game. Hell, he's 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 shared so much stuff and he's sold the game to me so well that I may have to pick that game up myself just because. It looks incredibly fun, and and just the genuine excitement from Slick really shows that the game definitely has some some tremendous upside. If you're you know if you're interested in that type of gameplay, um, definitely give it a shot. Of course, check out all the content that Slick has put up on RageWorks.net. I am um, I gotta I gotta hold myself accountable because I did not jump in to play the Evolve data. I mean the Evolve beta. Excuse me. I gotta see if it's available. And um, if I can still get in on it, because I want to check it out, because everybody's been kind of breaking my balls that I haven't jumped online to check that out. But um, hopefully I'll get online, maybe capture some gameplay and share it with you guys. All right. So that's going to wrap up this week's gaming segment. We're going to jump into the week's entertainment news, which um, just a cavalcade of stuff, a lot of superhero stuff, a lot of Marvel and DC, we got some Suicide Squad news, including some casting updates. Uh, we, I do want to talk about the Supergirl TV show, which found their Supergirl Plus. Um, they actually got young Jean Grey, young Cyclops, and young Storm cast for X-Men Age of Apocalypse. So with that, let's go into this week's entertainment news, shall we? So the first bit of news is probably going to annoy, anger, and upset some of you because you probably spent money on this movie like sheep, and um, yeah, you're about to get you're about to get played. So we all know that the interview was released digitally and in theaters after you know much protest from the Hollywood community and from just the general public about Hollywood basically tucking their tail between them legs and letting a dictator in a, in a country on the other side of the world pretty much, you know, bitch them out. And, um, you know, everybody, when the interview was released Christmas Day, threw their support behind the film, earning the film $30 million via digital distribution and, of course, additional monies via regular traditional theater distribution. Well, all of you guys that spent all that money for a movie that some of you hated... 
are going to be pleased to know that starting Saturday, the interview will be available on Netflix. How about that shit? All of you guys that paid the $15 to buy the movie and were pissed off because you hated it for some reason, or those of you that paid the $6 for the rental, yeah, you guys are going to be real pissed off because, like I said, you'll be able to watch the movie on Netflix beginning Saturday. Exactly 30 days after its release on December 24th. So there you have it. January 24th, the interview is available on Netflix. So if you haven't seen it, if you haven't seen the movie, excuse me, um, I, I recommend you plunk yourself down on Saturday. If you're here in New York City, you know that there may be some snow. Plunk yourself down on your couch, hit play, and see if the movie is worth all the hype. Because that's what I'm going to do. Because I want to see how, how, how detrimental the release of this film was to that country. Because from what I've heard, it really, it was, it was a lot of, a lot of hype and not a lot of substance. So there you have it. Get yourselves ready and um, plunk yourselves down in front of the couch to watch that movie beginning this Saturday. Like I said, the interviews had a pretty good month online. Film brought in $15 million in total sales and rentals four days after its release. It's now up to $40 million between rentals and online. And also it was those for those numbers, it was bought or rented 5.8 million times. So there you go. Mortis writes, you know, it was all a publicity stunt because they knew they had a crap movie on their hands. You see that? And, and that's, and that's just the guys in the chat. Wait till Saturday when people go, I can't believe I bought this shit or I rented this movie and it's on Netflix. Like I said, I'm not going to say what that the movie shit or not. I'm just going by what the general consensus of people in my circle have told me, but I'm going to watch the movie myself. Who knows? Maybe I'll, I'll do a minority film report for that film as well. Just to give you guys a couple of laughs when you, when you guys download the official, my take radio app, because of course the minority film report will be released there first. <laughs> Mortis writes, I'll pass on it, but Mortis, you get to watch it on Netflix for free. Aren't you the least bit curious? Because that's that's the that's the main motivator for me. I am curious. I'm curious what all the hype was about. Dark Helmet adds, I'm not bothering with it. And then Mortis responded by saying, not really. So, I mean, like I said, I'm just I'm I'm curious. I really am. It's like it's like how how insulting was this movie to North Korea that they threatened a 9-11, a 9-11 level event here in the U.S. if the movie was released. It's it's insane. Mortis adds, if you don't watch the interview, then you support terrorism. (laughs) Well said, sir. Well said. So this is a, uh, a very interesting statistic and I wanted to share it. It kind of falls into the, the, what the fuck movie news category. And, um, I can't, I can't speak too bad of it because we are going to review the film. Well, correction, I'm not going to review the film, but check this out. Coming soon reported that 50 Shades of Grey is the fastest selling R-rated movie in the 15-year history of Fandango. It opens on February 13th. As of today, here are the top 5 R-rated advanced ticket sales. Number 1, 50 Shades of Grey. Number 2, Sex in the City 2. 
Number three, The Hangover Part 2. Number four, The Hangover Part 3. And number five was Gone Girl. How crazy is that? Um, Fandango's chief correspondent, Dan Craig, uh, Dan Carger, said, it's tracking to be Fandango's fastest-selling R-rated movie of all time. Which is insane. It is insane. And the funny thing is, Mortis writes, that tells us that mainly women use Fandango, probably housewives. You know what's funny about that? And, and you know, so, some may consider that borderline sexist, but, <laughs> but you know, fuck it. That's what we do here. We just offend everybody. Uh, the fact of the matter is that I, I, use, I use Fandango because there's actually a movie theater here. Um, Slick knows this. Again, we're going to get a little local. Uh, there's an AMC theater here in Fresh Meadows that allows you to actually pick your seats Similar to when you buy tickets to an arena or tickets to a concert, uh, this particular theater, if you go on Fandango and you buy tickets, you can actually pick your seats. It gives you a full layout of the auditorium. You pick your seats on Fandango. You order your tickets. You go to the box office. You pick them up either via the digital kiosk or at the box office window, and you go right to your seat. Uh, Very seamless, very by the book, and... um, Again, you know, I got a little local there, but the thing that gets me is that that's that there's pre-orders for this film of that magnitude. Not only that, but the top the top two films are considered, you know, chick flicks, which again, whatever. I mean, I remember when when Sex in the City first started, I watched that shit. You want to know why? Because I came from the school of of people that used to watch Dream On on HBO which, um, again, I'm dating myself a little bit, but if, if you are a longtime HBO watcher, you'll, you'll know Dream On. I, I'm, I'm chomping at the bit for them to release that on Blu-ray so that I can own that show. But again, I expected um, Sex in the City at the time would be similar. Obviously, after the first, I believe, 10 episodes, it was a, just a bunch of, of harpies, uh, you know, bitching and complaining and drinking, drinking mimosas and, you know, walking around feeling themselves. So... Definitely not my cup of tea. Uh, Mortis adds that a lot of women like The Hangover. You know what's weird about that? I, I I haven't really quizzed enough women in my life to to know if they like The Hangover. Don't get me wrong. I saw the first one with my wife. We we got a couple of laughs, but it wasn't enough for us to be chomping at the bit to see the second or the third one. I mean, the second one I think we watched on cable that it was on randomly one day, and then the third one, you know, whatever. Where if it's on cable, we'll end up watching it, but we're not running around trying to find the shit. And Gone Girl, uh, Gone Girl's a unique film because so many people have spoken highly of it. I, I really should hold myself accountable once again for not seeing it, but I'm going to try and watch it within the next week or so, um, it, which is which is insane. It, re- it really is insane that those are those are your top your top five fastest selling R rated films. <laughs> so mortis adds that his significant other really is a fan of the hangover dark helmet adds that the hangover sucked and slick adds that the hangover fucking sucks again it depends on who you ask i mean a lot of people really enjoyed the hangover like i said the first one was okay i got a couple of chuckles i actually think that ken jong stole that entire fucking movie and that's why i think i enjoyed it so much but again to each his own as for Fifty Shades of Grey, again, it's it, it's it's based off a you know a very a very sexually charged book. 
And a lot of the subject matter that's in that movie, they're not even going to use all of it in the film. I mean, there's there's a, a scene, there's a there's a a part in the book that involves a tampon, which um, if um if you want to look it up, you can get a a full descriptive uh breakdown of what that involves. But essentially, the lead guy, I think, pretty much like pulls the tampon out of the chick or something, something real just vivid and and crazy and it's supposed to you know be like (gasps) when you read it but again whatever you're pulling a tampon out of a chick i'm sure i'm sure some of us have been loyal soldiers and have done that for for the sake of getting laid but that's a story for another day um but but i will say this the the you know the books the books have been uh highly successful and the film considering like i said how quickly it has been you know people have have purchased tickets for it I'm sure it's going to make a sizable amount of money. That's for damn sure. But I'll say this. Um, I know that the, the the audience is probably going to be predominantly women. Maybe some guys are going to be dragged by their significant others. I know that my wife is definitely going to check it out and um, most likely review it on RageWorks.net. Now, before I get the litany of fucking tweets, oh, you guys are covering Fifty Shades of Grey. yes. Because we review fucking movies. Yes. That's what we do here. Yes. From the real shitty movies to the real good movies. Some of us end up watching them. And some of us want to tell you whether they're good or not. So please don't send me any messages. Any tweets. Or, or write on the fan page. Pissing and moaning. Take the, uh, No pun intended. Take the tampon out. And um, accept the fact that that's probably going to be a film that will get reviewed. Simple as that. Not by me, but the shit's getting reviewed. So don't don't message me complaining, please, because I'm just I'm just going to either tell you to go fuck yourself or or just laugh, you know, fill your your screen with a hundred smiling emoticons, because at this point, I I just stop giving a shit. Seriously. The reason I say this is because we um we shared, I believe it was one of the, the teaser trailers for Fifty Shades of Grey. And like I said, I got at least five different messages about it. From different areas, I believe one was from Google Plus, one was on Twitter, a DM from from a guy that follows us. And when I saw it, I said to myself, I'm like, listen, you know, it's a movie like anything else. We're going to review good shit, bad shit, awesome shit, decent shit. The stuff gets reviewed. There are some movies that I watch that Slick probably thinks are terrible. There are some movies that Slick may watch that I may think are terrible, but that doesn't mean we're not going to review them because you guys, our our adoring public, want to know if the shit sucks or not. It's as simple as that. Anyway. (laughs) Mortis Mortis drops a a gem. I'm sure Slick is going to kill him. Uh, Mortis writes, I'm still waiting for Slick's Magic Mike review. Listen. If you're a wrestling fan, you know for a fact that Kevin Nash is in that movie. Because, fuck, I knew that. And I said to myself, oh, my God, Kevin Nash is in a male stripper movie. Kevin Nash. Again, Kevin Nash is in Magic Mike. So if you didn't know, now you know. (laughs) Anyway. For those of you that are fans of the TV series, Chuck, you will be pleased to know that Zach Levi has a new job. And that is being involved in the brand new Heroes reboot, aptly titled Heroes Reborn. So um, Heroes Heroes is going to get a brand new reboot. 
which again, some people say that it does tie in, um, called Heroes Reborn, and Zachary Levi is going to set is set to star in that reboot. Um, of course, we all know that uh, Heroes had a lot of a lot of success initially, and people were really into it. And as the series as the series went on, people just slowly started to lose interest. Um, I I watched Heroes briefly, and there were a lot of solid moments, but I'm not, I wasn't really digging it. I mean, I'm coming from all, again, this is me now. I'm coming from a, from a school of Batman, Superman, Marvel, DC, Image, Valiant, Dark Horse. And you're watching these homegrown, homemade heroes that, you know, they're being, they're being put together for a small screen audience. And while yes, there were some redeeming qualities, it just, it just didn't sit right with me. Like I said, we're, we're sitting in a, in an era right now where, you got a Green Arrow TV show, a Flash TV show, Young Batman. Uh, you you have uh, Power Man and Iron Fist coming to Netflix. Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Agents of Shield, Supergirl, which we're gonna get into, and just an endless cavalcade of other real series. Oh, and Powers on PlayStation. And I just feel that there's so much untapped potential in so many of these different comics that to see somebody go outside of that and create something, you know quote unquote similar, but not tied into, you know, a main property. Again, it's, uh, that's just me, but it just didn't sit right because you watch that series and you see so many similarities to other heroes and other villains and other medium. And you're probably saying to yourself, wow, they're borrowing that from Marvel. They're borrowing that from DC. And I kept, I kept finding myself doing that often. Whenever I watched heroes, I'm like, fuck, that's ripping off you know, Batman, or that's ripping off Superman, or that's ripping off this guy. And I just, it really took away the enjoyment for me. Now, obviously the, the stuff that's on TV now has its love, has its, um, supporters and detractors, but for the most part, it's, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty by the book and it's either you're really into it or you're not. I mean, I know, I know people that like Arrow, but hate the flash, or I know guys that like to watch Gotham, but refuse to support Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because they feel that it's a shitty Marvel show. It depends on who you ask, but me personally, uh, while the Heroes concept, probably my wife will end up watching it because she enjoyed the first series, it just never really resonated as something that I would be interested in. And I tried. I tried watching a fair amount of episodes, and I'm like, nope, can't get into it. Again, that's just me, but if you are interested, it's going to be on NBC. It will be a miniseries, and I know that they're uh, going to be releasing some digital shorts as well that are going to introduce a lot of the new characters and some of the storylines as well. Um, like the miniseries is scheduled to be 13 episodes. So once I get a full release date, I will, of course, share that with you guys. All right. So sequel news, you guys are going to love this. If you guys remember, there was um, a couple of there was a span of. I'd say three years where uh, Japanese horror films were being uh, rebooted and re- and released here in the United States. One such film is the film Ringu, which of course was released here in the U.S. as The Ring. And obviously you watch the VHS, some chick with, with uh, wet hair comes out of the TV, then proceeds to kill you, and you die within seven days. So, um pretty much paint by numbers we know the deal so what ended up happening was that at that time countless other 
Japanese and Korean and Chinese horror films were being looked at to be converted for obviously uh, U.S. audiences, and there 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 were some duds and there were some some passable ones. I mean, even even The Ring, the first film, was decent, but it definitely was not obvious. It, you know, it did, just didn't have that same presentation as as you know its its foreign counterpart. And the funny thing is that, like anything else, what's happening? We're getting a reboot. We're getting a brand new series. Uh, it's going to be changed slightly now called Rings instead of The Ring. Uh, they're going to cast a newcomer. Her name is Matilda Lutz. She will be playing the lead in the film. And um, pretty much what they're saying is that the film will keep the previous film's continuity, saying that obviously the the character of Samara, which is the chick with the hair hanging over her face, is going to continue to be the factor. Um, and of course, the videotape is going to be part of the story as well. But Anything else is going to be swept under the rug. Now, again, for me, I just feel that much like Spike Lee's uh, represent, you know, reboot of Old Boy or correction, his his interpretation of the Old Boy film. I just feel that that there are just some there are just some foreign films that really just don't translate well with U.S. audiences. Right now, for instance. There's been a lot of talk and speculation that they're going to do an Americanized version of The Raid. Now, we all know that if you're an action fan, a martial arts fan, that The Raid has found its way into your DVD or Blu-ray collection, or you've seen it multiple times on cable because the fight choreography is out of this world. Now, you see a film like that, and when you watch it, you say to yourself, man, you know, they got a really good cast really great martial artists and then you say to yourself well if they're going to remake it here in the u.s i feel that we're going to get semi-decent martial artists involved well last time they were talking about rebooting the raid and using chris and liam hemsworth as the lead characters in the film again the raid is recognized not only for its martial arts choreography but the fact that it it made close quarter combat such a real and visceral experience. You're taking these Hollywood pretty boys, no offense to them, because again, Chris Hemsworth is, you know, the guy is Thor, but you're taking these guys that are not genuine martial artists, and you're going to try and pigeonhole them or force them into this film where you're going to need to use camera angles and fast edits to deliver the same experience, and it's not going to be met with the same amount of appreciation that the that a film like The Raid was met with. Again, if you're an action purist and you love action films or you even love martial arts films, I recommend, I, I cannot say it enough, for you to watch The Raid because The Raid is no joke. And I got to take a moment and, and really, really give give kudos to Slick because Slick saw The Raid first and he was like, dude, you need to check this shit out. And I kind of slept on it. I slept on it. Then I watched it and I was like, oh man, this is, this is out of this world. And then when the second film came out, it was, it was just, again, the same amount of intensity, the same crazy martial arts choreography, obviously taken to another level, but still just leaps and bounds ahead of anything that can be done here in the States. If you're going to do something like the raid, then, you know, you need a guy like Jason Statham, you need a guy like Gary Daniels or Scott Adkins or, um, you know, any of these other martial artists and guys that really have genuine fight training 
to deliver, uh, you know, really good, believable performances. As for rebooting the ring, you know, circling back to the circling back to that. Like I said, we're we're in the era of PG thirteen horror films, which just aren't horror films at this point. So I'm sure it's gonna get a fresh coat of paint, and they're gonna find a way to make it seem, you know, remotely in line with with the original films. But for me, I mean, if you want to watch anything with, with with scary characters related to VHS tapes, then you might as well watch VHS and VHS two. And um, you can get your fill there. As for the rings or, uh, well, correction, as for the ring or the aptly named rings reboot, we're going to watch that. And um, once we get more news and a release date, we will share that with you guys. Now, on the small screen side of things, I did want to mention, and it's because it came across my desk earlier today, that um, that Rush Hour TV series that we talked about a couple of months back, is still moving ahead. So if you think for one second that the Rush Hour TV series got swept under the rug, it did not. Uh, Bill Lawrence spoke with Nuke the Fridge, who asked him about it, and he said that the series will air on CBS, and it's going to be a new plot, but the same characters a little younger. So obviously, Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan's characters, just younger and uh, in a police procedural every week. And um, he did add that, of course, there will be the, the fish out of water vibes, but he did add that it's a quote unquote, uh, a quote unquote, cool script. Um, he was actually asked about casting actors with martial arts experience. He said that the main character will be a martial artist, but you know how TV works. I'm going to go with the best actor and I'll make anything work. Now, I don't have an issue with a rush hour TV series because if done right, if it's done right, uh, I mean, it can, it can have the same amount of success like Hawaii Five O does, which, while it's not obviously uh, frame for frame for frame um, exact, it's still a pretty serviceable show and has some some fairly good action and some decent actors involved in that series. I mean, I watch Hawaii Five O on CBS, and and there's some there's some episodes which are really really shitty, and then there's some episodes that are very very deep and have really good action. Uh, plus, I I like the cast. You know, I like Scott Kahn. He's pretty cool. Uh, he really plays a a good uh, a good Dano. Uh, Chi McBride was added to the cast recently, and I like Chi McBride. He's one of my favorite actors. Um, you know, I, I I will say this, and this is something that you know Masioka from Heroes was added to the series. When I first started watching it, I expected it to suck, and considering that it's still holding on, it's um. You know, it's it's not it's not terrible. It, it's not a terrible series for Rush Hour. Uh, you definitely need a, a, a solid martial artist there. I mean, there's a lot of good actors, a lot of good Asian actors that are out there that have good screen presence that you can use in that series. Um, with regards to you know who's going to play the African American Carter character, obviously made famous by Chris Tucker. Again, there's a lot of great African American actors. Uh, whether it's big screen or small screen that would transition well and have good comedic timing. But again, you can't try and pigeonhole these guys into the exact formula that made the rush hour movies work. Because if you're doing it on CBS, you can't use the same type of humor, the same racial humor that you used in the big screen version, because obviously you're going to ruffle a lot of feathers. 
It's going to be a lot of safe humor with some decent fight choreography, and that's it. And either people are going to love it or people are going to hate it. Me, I'm in the camp of wait and see only because, like I said, CBS hasn't dropped the ball with Hawaii Five O. But I do think that that show probably has one more season before they pull the plug because I noticed that the shifts in in scheduling and the shifts in in TV time are definitely indicative that the show will probably wind down within another season or two at best. Again, once I get more news and maybe a debut date and some casting, I will, of course, make sure to report it either on Rageworks or on air with you guys. All right, so I I really was shocked with this next bit of sequel news because it involves Snow White and the Huntsman. Now, if you guys know... If you guys have seen this film, you know the Snow White and the Huntsman centered around Snow White, played by Kristen Stewart from Twilight, and um, of course Chris Hemsworth playing the character of the hunt of the Huntsman. Uh, Charlize Theron was the was the villain, and if you've seen the film, you know how it ends. So you probably say to yourself, "All right, this film was okay. Doesn't need a sequel." Well, it is getting a sequel. It is moving forward, and originally. Frank Darabont was attached to direct the project, but he has since left the film, uh, allegedly because of creative differences. But um, Chris Hemsworth is still involved in the project. And now Emily Blunt is rumored to be coming on board to play the villain in this film. Um, I actually saw Snow White and the Huntsman a couple of times on HBO. And it's one of those movies that you end up either watching the beginning or the middle. And then you're just curious to see how it got to where it got. So you end up watching the whole thing. And that's what ended up happening with me. I ended up watching the middle of the film and the end of the film. And then I was like, ah, it wasn't terrible. I didn't hate it. Even though Kristen Stewart is the worst actress known to mankind. Um, you probably have better luck with a hand puppet than by putting her on screen, but you know, different strokes for different folks. I just feel she's an abysmal actress, but in any case, the 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 art direction, the cinematography, the effects were definitely very good. Uh, Chris Hemsworth, of course, um, definitely solid in his role as the Huntsman. I kind of felt that his character could have been utilized a little bit better and could have just been spun off into his own film, which it looks like that's what they're going to do. Um, but again, did the film need a sequel or warrant a sequel? Absolutely not. But... Hey, Hollywood is trying to crank it out as best as possible. Um, Like I said, for me personally, the film was a once or twice viewing at best. But hey, Hollywood feels they got a winner. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens and who comes on board to direct. But um, I will say um, I will say this. And this is something that when considering the success of the first film, you're going to either need to drag Kristen Stewart back in there or you're going to need to do something a lot more engaging because I don't think they're going to get the same amount of success the second time around that they did the first time around. Uh, As of right now, the film looks to be heading to theaters in 2016. All right. So I know a lot of you guys are, you know, are very, very into sci-fi and I actually had a discussion with a colleague of mine earlier this month. We were talking about, um, TV shows that, you know, tra- didn't transit that they ended and the fans were just clamoring for more of that show. Obviously Firefly comes to mind and a lot of other series, but one series that, that was talked about and I kind of felt they, they really 
did leave that series incomplete is the X-Files. Now, you guys know that the X-Files was on television from 1993 to 2002. It had 202 episodes and had two movies. The film had 21 Emmy nominations, plus, uh, you know, comics, video games, the works. Well, excuse me. In the era of nostalgia, it should not come as a shock to any of you that they are planning on bringing the X-Files back. During a TCA presentation earlier this week, Fox TV Group Chairman Gary Newman said that the network is in talks to renew X-Files. He added that they would like to bring back David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson, but it has not been confirmed yet. So, if you are a fan of the X-Files series, you may be in luck as Fox is definitely entertaining bringing that series back. Considering that Sleepy Hollow's been doing pretty well on Fox, I wouldn't be surprised if they use either Sleepy Hollow as a lead-in or maybe back-to-back days for both series. But, I mean, the X-Files, from a nostalgic standpoint, I'd be curious to see what they can do with it. Plus, Gillian Anderson and David Duchovny have been, you know, doing fairly well in their own series. Obviously, David Duchovny in Californication. Gillian Anderson is currently in Hannibal, which I'm bummed to report doesn't come back till the summer. But... I'm curious to see if they still have that same magic that made them uh, pretty much darlings of all sci-fi fans during the time being. I mean, uh, during during those days. For me, I mean, I watched it a couple times. I liked it, but I never watched it religiously. The X-Files was just one of those things where it would be on. The episode would be kind of cool. I'd sit down and I'd watch it, but it didn't grab my attention. But I know a lot of guys that are hardcore fans, hardcore, down to buying the action figures and all that shit that are definitely hyped for those news. So if you are an X-Files fan, you'll be pleased to know that it will be coming back to Fox. Once I get a premiere date, of course, I will share it with you guys. Dark Helmet says that they are now the old files. Slick says, fuck that show. I was never a fan. Damn, a lot of, lot of, lot of venom in the chat room this evening. All right, so let's talk box office numbers. It should be... Uh, It shouldn't even be a shock. It shouldn't even be a shock that American Sniper was number one at the box office, earning $90.2 million. The Wedding Ringer came in at number two, earning $21 million. Paddington Bear came in at number three. Taken Three came in at number four. Selma dropped to number five. The Imitation Game was number six. Into the Woods was number seven. Uh, The Hobbit Battle of the Five Armies still holding on at number eight earning $4.9 million, bringing its total to $244.5 million. Unbroken was at number nine, and Black Hat debuted at number 10, earning $4 million, meaning that that film, ladies and gentlemen, is a fucking dud. <laughs> I feel bad for Thor. Dude, slick to stick to wielding Mjolnir and, and you know having water fights with Jimmy Fallon because that movie tanked horribly <laughs> I wouldn't be shocked if, if next weekend when we talk when next week when we talk box office totals that film drops off completely with its paltry four million dollars uh slick if if you can can you do me a favor and look up how much it costs to make black hat and let me know because I'm curious the film earned four million dollars I'm curious to know how much the film made because that is a fucking stinker and a half with a $4 million uh, box office haul. But 
I'm curious to see how much it costs because I'm sure that Chris Hemsworth in anything other than Thor and the Avengers is not going to be considered or, or, or the Huntsman is not going to be considered for quite some time. In other unnecessary sequel news, they are moving forward with a sequel to World War Z. World War Z, of course, tried to, to dazzle us with running, climbing, crazy-looking zombies, but at the end of the day, it was pretty much Brad Pitt Saves the World, which was a far departure from the World War Z books by Max Brooks. Now, for me, I, you know, I read World War Z cover to cover more than once, and I was really excited to see the film because I was hoping to see all the different stories from the books make their way to the big screen. And when it pretty much was Brad Pitt saves the world, I was not only disappointed, but just incredibly let down that Brooks would let his book be converted into something that was such a far departure from what was a really, really great book. Now we're getting an unnecessary sequel to boot. Now, World War Z did make, correction, World War Z cost $190 million to make. It earned $540 million. So, of course, at this point, it is a no-brainer that Hollywood would crank out a sequel, but I can guarantee you that it's not going to get as lucky the second time around. Mortis writes, uh, World War Z book was great. I knew the movie wasn't going to be anything like the book. Slick got me the Black Hat data. Thank you so much, Slick. The budget for Black Hat, ladies and gentlemen, was $70 million. It made $4 million in the domestic box office. Slick is telling me that the box office totals for it thus far are $7.3 million. Again, the film cost $70 million to make, and it's only made $7.3 million in total box office ticket sales. If that's not a dud, I don't know what is. I guarantee you that film will probably get a Razzie as well, <laughs> which it, it really not shocked. Um, I did, I did want to talk about, and this was something that, as I mentioned earlier in the series, um, uh, excuse me, earlier in the series, earlier in the show, I did want to talk about Suicide Squad because if you guys remember last week, I reported that, um, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal was in, was in the running to replace, uh, you know, Tom Hardy as, um, what's his face? Uh, what the fuck is it? Rick Flagg. So. Here's the thing. Tom Hardy allegedly dropped out because he didn't want to be part of an ensemble cast. That's the rumor. Take it for what it's worth. Jake Gyllenhaal dropped out. Uh, No reason was given, but he passed on the role. Now, there's a couple of other um, actors that are being considered, including uh, Josh Bernthal, who many of you may know from Fury, but also may know him from The Walking Dead for playing Shane, and also Joel Egerton, are being considered for the role of Rick Flagg. There's also casting that's being discussed for Deathstroke with Joe Manganiello being considered for Deathstroke currently. Again, not sure how I feel about that casting, uh, but I will say, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal, I don't think Jake Gyllenhaal is going to touch a superhero movie for quite some time. I think that he's really found success for himself doing you know, the dramas and the more serious subject matter. So I don't think he's going to touch um, a comic book film. I do think John Bernthal would make a good addition to the cast. 
very underrated actor, and I think he would he would kind of balance it out very well alongside you know Margot Robbie, Will Smith, Jared Leto, etc. There's also a rumor. Get this that um, and Latino Review was was mentioning it. Like I said, you know about Joe Manganiello being involved, but there's also um Gary a uh, rumor of Gary Sinise being considered for the role of General Eiling. So General Eiling, Deathstroke, all in Suicide Squad. It's all it's all boiling down to casting. Uh, Joe Manganiello. Not sure how I feel about him as Slade Wilson. I do feel that that Manu Bennett from Arrow and from Spartacus has done an amazing job as Deathstroke, and I think he's a guy that really needs an opportunity to shine on the big screen because he is an incredibly under an incredible underrated actor. Now, um, Mortis writes Jake Gyllenhaal was Prince of Persia, though. <laughs> This is true. I forgot that Prince of Persia was it wasn't a terrible it did, it really was not a terrible flick, but Jake Gyllenhaal did look out of place with his over his overdone tan. That's for shit sure. I I remember I watched Prince of Persia in the theater and there were a lot of young girls in there and you know, he was shirtless They're like, "Oh my god." Man. You know, and I was like, "Okay, got it." Um for someone who's played the Prince of Persia games, including the newer ones, it was it was a decent movie, but I really regretted actually spending money to see that in the theater uh, because that is definitely a cable flick, and it's not even a cable flick that you end up watching more than once. It's a one and done, and that's it. All right, so I do I do want to talk about, and this is crazy. I couldn't even believe that this is even being considered. They are going to do a reboot or a remake of The Blob. Now, as long as, as, as if, you know, longtime horror fans know that the blob has been done a thousand times, the original 1958 film starred Steve McQueen. Uh, then they did a 1972 sequel, beware of the blob. Then they did a, uh, 1988 film, which I remember I watched, which was, uh, they used to always give it on channel 11 at the, um, always that that was a, a channel 11 film, almost every other Sunday, the blob. I remember that they they froze it, and at the end of the film, the guy had a small piece of the blob in a jar. Um, not sure how well a reboot of that would translate nowadays. I mean, the special effects are definitely better, but I just feel that that's not a movie that even deserves to be considered in the box office. Um, Mortis writes that they should remake Critters. I agree 100%. Then he adds that they should they should do Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes is a guilty pleasure. It is not good, ladies and gentlemen, but it is so god awful that you need to watch it. Nothing beats the tomato the giant tomato on a skateboard chasing a woman outside of a shopping center. Nothing. Nothing. Uh <laughs> nothing compares to that. And yes, I do remember the cartoon on Channel 5 that had the uh, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes jingle, which was quite catchy. I remember Tammy Tomato and the weird furry one that used to be with them. It was awful. (laughs) Fucking terrible. (laughs) Slick says, dude, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes is a classic. Rest assured, rest assured, I am not saying 
that you should not watch it. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Everyone should watch Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. You should watch it. Get a couple of friends, get a couple of beers if you want, and just sit there and watch it and laugh your ass off because it's so bad, but it's so funny. Uh, uh, rest assured, not good, but you could sit there and get a couple of laughs and people, you know, people are going to be like, wow, this is what shit. It's like killer clowns from outer space. Depending on who you talk to, people are going to say either killer clowns from outer space was really, really bad or was really good. I'm in the camp that it's a movie that I never get tired of watching because it's so over the top that it needs to be seen, especially if you're a horror fan. But Attack of the Killer Tomatoes is just it's such a fucking weirdo flick. Such a weird flick. I mean, um, you know, like I said, it spawned a cartoon, which was crazy in itself. But, um, you know, Killer Clowns from Outer Space is is definitely one of my my guilty pleasures. I really like I and I talked about this last week. I think uh, Ghoulies should get a remake alongside Critters. But again, that's just me. All right. So as I mentioned earlier, we do finally have ourselves a Supergirl for the CBS uh, small screen adaptation of the iconic superhero, of course, cousin of Superman, Kara Zor-El. Uh, she will be played by Melissa Benoist, who many of you may know from Glee. And um, according to what's been discussed and uh, the news fluctuates between true and not true, uh, the Supergirl series is supposed to take place in the same universe as Green Arrow and The Flash. Again, don't quote me on it because this changes from week to week. From week to week, this changes. But again, the Supergirl series does have its lead, uh, Nancy Benoist, and she will be playing Supergirl. Of course, if you want to look her up, she was on Glee. Um, you can probably find her on IMDb. Of course, the first thing that everybody said is, hey, man, she's not blonde. And I just wanted to write in fucking caps. It's called hair dye. It's called hair dye or a wig. Emma Watson isn't a red. Um, Emma's correction, not Emma Watson. Emma Stone isn't a redhead. She's a blonde. And nobody seemed to complain. So there. <laughs> in any case, um, like I said, CBS has their, their Supergirl and... Whether whether or not it's going to be in the same universe as the Flash and Green Arrow remains to be seen. Thank you for sharing the name in the chat, Slick. <laughs> and yes, the Toxic Avenger Mortis was awesome. Never get tired of that. I also liked Sergeant Kabuki Man. Which, um, again, not not good, <laughs> not good in the in the in, in the least. Um, if you want to look it up, Slick, can you do me a favor and pull, um, Sergeant Kabuki man and see if you can find it on YouTube, <laughs> man, was that shit bad? But again, guilty pleasure. Sue me. Anyway, couple of things on the Marvel side, of course, cause it wouldn't be a week of DC news without some Marvel stuff. Um, Dr. Strange is starting to get some, uh, you know, a lot of traction with regards to casting, of course, with Benedict Cumberbatch playing the iconic Stephen Strange, um, another well-known and very, very underrated actor is being considered for a role in the film, and that is uh, Chuitel Ejiofor, 
and I probably messed up that guy's name because I always mess up that guy's name. But in any case, he is um he is being sought for a role in the Doctor Strange film. Of course, it's easy to say that um you know you'd want him to play Dormammu or you know the Ancient One. Uh, ben actually mentioned Brother Voodoo, who I forgot was a uh, was a villain of of Doctor Strange at one point or another. But um, I will say this: um, the the iconic the and, and this is this is something with with Doctor Strange that I'm very very concerned about. Um, Doctor Strange, much like Ant Man, falls in a very very particular niche. And the reason I say this is because when you look at um, the Avengers, the X-Men, Spider-Man, they fall into certain niches. And, and uh, well, let me let me rephrase that. When you look at the Avengers, the Punisher, Daredevil and Doctor Strange, I'll, I'll use those series. They fall into certain niches that have their own collective fan bases. You got your mainstream hero niche which is, you know, Captain America, Spider-Man, the Hulk, Thor, Iron Man, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You got that. Then you got what I like to call the the gritty urban street heroes, which are Daredevil, The Punisher, Blade, Moon Knight, you know, a lot of the stuff that came out in the Marvel Knights imprint. Then you have, you know, the Mystic, the Mystic Marvel line, which, again, Moon Knight kind of falls in there, Doctor Strange, um... You know, Damien Hellstorm, uh, a lot of a lot of those more obscure characters fall into that niche. Now, the thing with Doctor Strange is that over the last couple of years, they've really integrated him into a lot of stuff. He's been part of the Avengers, of course, being a big, a big part of Marvel's Illuminati is huge. For those of you that don't know, the Illuminati in the Marvel Universe, depending on which books you read, is Doctor Strange representing magic, Professor Xavier representing the mutants. And usually it's Tony Stark, um, obviously representing the the regular heroes, and of course uh, Reed Richards, Mister Fantastic, representing uh, the science aspect of the Marvel universe. And these guys, they pretty much work behind the scenes, trying to ensure that obviously the universe stays intact. Of course, it's the Illuminati that was responsible and the main catalyst for World War Hulk, and. Um, you know, obviously you see Doctor Strange come into the big screen. You already have um, Tony Stark established. You have Mr. Fantastic established, but obviously Fantastic Four belongs to Fox. But in a certain and same thing with Professor X. But you depending on on, like I said, which version of the Illuminati you look at. Uh, one character that's part of the Illuminati outside of Doctor Strange is Black Bolt, who is a member of the Inhumans which if you've been watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you will know that the Inhumans are starting to be ingrained into mainstream uh, Marvel mythology. So the uh, a big screen version of the Illuminati is possible. Now, with Doctor Strange, again, you got a really good actor in Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, the addition of, of, you know, Tweetel Ejiofor, you know, depending on what character he plays, is, is going to be interesting but much like Ant-Man, this is a film that needs to be watched very, very closely. Because, again, you're dipping into unfamiliar territory. I mean, the same could be said back in the day when Iron Man first came out. Because nobody really gave a shit about Iron Man. But it was the beginning 
of, uh, you know, it was the start of establishing a Marvel Universe and Robert Downey Jr. did uh, an amazing job. And and that's one of the, you know, the driving forces. Same thing with Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They all did a great job in bringing the collective Marvel Universe to life. But a character like Doctor Strange, like you're dipping your toes into into unfamiliar territory. But of course, people are going to say, well, Guardians of the Galaxy introduced us to the space aspect of the Marvel Universe and it did well. Yes, but Guardians of the Galaxy also knew the audience it was trying to cater to. It really had a lot of fun not taking itself very seriously. The The character of Doctor Strange is a little different because his character is very... Um, you know, he's very pretty, he's a, he's an even keeled character. He's not doing anything too comedic. On the contrary, he's uh he's pretty he's pretty surly. So um, you know, I'm I'm curious to see what they're going to do with that, but a lot of signs are pointing to us seeing some sort of an incarnation of Marvel's Illuminati on the big screen. Now, of course, when you see that, the first thing you think of, will we finally see World War Hulk? Not too sure, but the pieces are in place if you wanted to go in that direction. On the flip side, on the X-Men side of the casting call, they've got um their young Jean Grey, young Cyclops, and young Storm for X-Men Apocalypse. Of course, uh, they use X-Men Days of Future Past to essentially write off all the original X-Men characters. Both Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart will not be returning to reprise their roles as Professor X and Magneto, and most of the cast, you know, Halle Berry, James Marsden, most of those characters have pretty much been wiped, the slate has been wiped clean with the events of Days of Future Past, with the exception, of course, of Wolverine, because it's fucking Wolverine. Anyway, so, Brian Singer announced that he has his casting for all three characters. So, for the part of Jean Grey, um... The actress from Game of Thrones, Sophie Turner, who plays Sansa Stark, will be playing Jean Grey in X-Men Apocalypse. Um, the other actor, uh, who was the guy that got the role for Cyclops? Uh, that would be Ty Sheridan. So Ty Sheridan is going to be playing young Cyclops. Now, Zendaya Coleman will be playing young Storm. Now, um, Ty Sheridan, you could see him currently in Kingsman, the secret service. Um, of course, as I said, Sophie Turner, you can see her on game of Thrones as Sansa Stark and, um, uh, Zendaya Coleman. Not too many people were happy with her portrayal of Aaliyah in the, uh, in the Aaliyah TV movie, but we'll see what happens with X-Men days of future past and, uh, correction X-Men age of apocalypse when it comes to the big screen. May 27th, 2016. Me personally, I'm curious to see how they're going to do Apocalypse on the big screen because if if you guys watch the 90s X-Men cartoon, you know that Apocalypse was probably one of the most badass characters in the 90s X-Men cartoon and even in the Marvel Universe as a whole and he needs to be done right. There's a lot of stuff going on with the Apocalypse character from the transforming limbs to the ability to alter his size to the changing shape, all that stuff. You need to have that. If there's one thing I would like to see with Apocalypse, um, I would love to see Mr. Sinister on the big screen um, just being involved. Even if it's indirectly, I would like to see that because Mr. Sinister and Apocalypse, usually they just go hand in hand. And 
I'm such a I'm I'm a big fan of Mr. Sinister's character, his design. Um his design in the regular Marvel universe was awesome, but his design in the Ultimate Marvel universe was equally awesome. But definitely would love to see Mr. Sinister on the screen. I mean Apocalypse is a badass dude, but like I said, wherever there's Apocalypse, there's Mr. Sinister. Um Mortis mentions that he says I think Wolverine will be a member of Apocalypse's Four Horsemen. I wouldn't be shocked if that happens. But you also got to remember that Angel can become Archangel and we can see that probably in this film. So that's something we got to consider as well, because, you know, when you think of the the four horsemen of the apocalypse, Wolverine has been used numerous times. But Archangel is one of the most memorable four horsemen of apocalypse. And I think bringing Archangel to the big screen and doing the really cool wing design would uh, would be interesting to see as well. But again, Sinister needs to happen. I, I'd give anything to see Mr. Sinister on the big screen, especially because, like like I said, X-Men Days of Future Past kind of redeemed a lot of the stuff that was wrong in some of the other films, and it essentially wiped the slate clean. Now all we need is for Fox and Marvel to come to terms so that we could see some of the X-Men characters in the regular Marvel continuity as well, but right now we can only hold our breath in the hopes that Sony and, and and Marvel decide to let Spider-Man come into the Avengers films and play. Uh, we'll see if that actually happens. And of course, once I hear more about X-Men Apocalypse, I will definitely share it with you guys. Um, I'm actually excited about the casting. Like I said, I do feel Sophie Turner is going to be really good as Jean Grey. Um, I have I have no issues with the casting. I just, you know, I'm curious to see how it comes together and how the final product looks because X-Men Days of Future Past was surprisingly well done. Uh, Mortis adds, Wolverine as a horseman would make sense after his stint as Weapon X. Apocalypse could take him. X-Men free him. Then he joins the X-Men. Slick says, uh, Marvel is destroying their entire comic universe, most likely to get get rights back. You know what's funny? I wasn't going to touch on that, but since Slick mentioned it in the chat, I will... I will mention it. Marvel actually is pretty much uh, wiping the slate clean with their brand new Secret War story arc where they're pretty much uh, eviscerating both the Ultimate Universe and the established or mainstream 616 universe. A lot of people are equating this to DC's uh, New 52, um, but we'll see what happens. I mean, they've been doing a lot of retconning already uh, between... You know, the the stuff with Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, which they're doing, obviously, to not make them mutants anymore. Uh, the same thing with the uh, the current Spider-Man story arc, where they're pretty much wiping the slate clean with a lot of that stuff. I think, um, you know, this will be the end, most likely, of Miles Morales as, Sp- as Ultimate Spider-Man, but you never know. I think that, that Marvel doing this, um, you know, Slick makes a valid point about them just creating... Um, new characters and and wiping the slate clean but i do feel that much like dc did with the new 52 there's a lot of there's so many marvel books that are just out there there's a lot of double dipping triple dipping etc 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 that at this point maybe it would be wise to destroy some of that and kind of rebuild it because excuse me there's way too many books out there if you're a spider-man fan you got to go and read, um, you know, you, you got to go and read a thousand different books when an arc happens. No, 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 Slick. I know what you're saying. Slick writes, no, they said it's the end of the entire continuity. I get what you're saying, 
But what I'm just talking about that in 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 um the end of the continuity is also going to allow for the fleshing out of titles that there were just an overabundance of. And when I say that, I mean, think about it. Do you really need six different X-Men books, five different Spider-Man books, three different Wolverine books, uh, you know, five different spinoffs of the Avengers? That's what I'm talking about. In terms of just conserving, I mean, DC's New 52 has some good stuff, but it's had its fair share of duds as well. There's some really well-written books that didn't take off, that they had to sweep under the rug, and then there were some books that were just really, really well done, but they just rolled those characters into other things. I mean, it, it depends. I mean, the execution is what I'm interested in, um, and like I said, just the consolidation of, 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 of so many damn books. I mean, yes, you're pretty much essentially destroying everything that you've created for the for, you know, for, for the last, you know, for X amount of years that, that you've been reading comics. But like I said, we don't need five Spider-Man books, six Avengers books, three or four or five X-Men books, depending on, on what you're reading. Cause think about it. The death of Wolverine is a great example. The death of Wolverine ran through its own individual books. It ran through the X-Men it ran through a couple of other offshoot books, and then it just circled back to Wolverine. Now, Slick says, I just doubt that it's about improving the product. No, I, 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 definitely, I definitely agree that it's not just about improving the product, but like I said, they've already retconned a lot of the stuff. You know, it's Scarlet Witch, uh, the issue with Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver has, has kind of been done for the reason of integrating them into the Marvel universe, even though they're also part of Fox. Uh, you know, that, that's, that, that goes without saying, um, the only things that probably will remain, you know, intact, obviously is going to be Spider-Man, but I also feel that spider, the, the issue with Spider-Man is just a matter of money. The issue with Fox on the X-Men side of things, I think Marvel is okay with what they're doing with the X-Men but I know for a fact that Marvel can't stand what's been done with the Fantastic Four, which, by the way, there's a rumor that the trailer for the new Fantastic Four film will be um, attached to the Kingsman when it comes out in theaters. So we'll see if that's true. But I will say this with regards to, you know, destroying the Marvel Universe and the cinematic universe and all the stuff in between. At the end of the day, you're going to get out of it what you feel is worth getting out of it. And what that means is if you're a fan of the Marvel cinematic universe and you've never picked up a comic book, whatever, enjoy it because it's fun. It's crazy. And, um, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. The fantastic four book I know was canceled. They announced it at comic con, um, with regards to, if you're a comic book fan and you have your issues with the cinematic universe, same thing read the books and just try and look at the cinematic universe as exactly that its own universe. This goes back to something that I've told slick that I use with regards to, you know, Michael Bay's transformers, uh, the GI Joe films, you know, stuff that's iconic from our childhood. I just look at that as its own self-contained universe, because if I'm forced to utilize the expectations that have been created by the source material, I'm going to end up hating everything. I'm, I'll be honest. That's that's really the, the the God's honest truth. Transformers, we know for a fact that everything Michael Bay did, well, correction, the bulk, you know, 85% of what Michael Bay did was not good. 
But again, I look at it as something that stands on its own two feet outside of normal continuity. I mean, we I put trailers up for the brand new Transformers cartoon where Bumblebee is leading the Autobots and the Decepticons are being led by a guy named Steeljaw who turns into a wolf. Not Megatron, not a Prime, Bumblebee and Steeljaw. Make of it what you will, but it's not what we're used to. As far as I know, whenever the Decepticons and Autobots have been at odds for as far back as I can remember, it's always been a Prime and a Megatron. Depending on, you know, whether it's, you know, Beast Wars Megatron, regular Megatron, 80s Megatron, same thing with Prime. It's always been that way. Am I a fan? Not really. Am I going to check it out? Yeah, of course I am. You know, I, I would be doing a disservice to myself if I didn't. Same thing with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes, there are issues. There are issues, plenty of them, but those issues are minor and you could kind of look past some of them. I mean, Agent Coulson was, you know, a character that was that wasn't a driving force in a lot of the books, but they ended up making him this bigger, you know, this bigger personality because they they wanted that they wanted that to translate from the films to the books. I mean, it was the same thing with African American Nick Fury. Black Nick Fury was an ultimate character, but yet in the Marvel 616, which is the main Marvel universe, there is now Black Nick Fury, a.k.a. Nicholas Fury Jr. Again, who is the son of White Nick Fury? Crazy as it is? Yes, but that's what they're doing. So instead of just, like I said, just being frustrated about all the stuff that's not like the comics or the cartoons you watch, just take a page out of my book and let the shit exist in its own universe. This way you could just enjoy it or not enjoy it. (laughs) Simple as that. I mean, look, we all know a a great example, the Ninja Turtles. I read all the Eastman and Laird books growing up. I watched all the cartoons growing up. I watched all the movies. I watched the new movie. Is the new movie anything remotely close to some of the stuff I grew up watching? Absolutely not. Was it enjoyable in its own way? Sure. That's it. I went, I watched it. My expectations were low. The movie was was pretty decent. I didn't hate it. Move on. Like I said, if I tried to hold it if I tried to hold it against the Eastman and Laird books, I'd blow my brains out cuz I'd hate it utterly. Cuz those books were violent, they were dark. It was it was completely different. But that's that's kind of where we're at with that. I will say this. X-Men Apocalypse, I'm sure that they'll pr- they'll do a pretty good job with it. Like I said, they've had a pretty good track record with the X-Men. Fantastic Four, though, everybody hates it. Everybody. But a couple of people that have allegedly seen it uh, in Hollywood have said that it's, it, you know, Josh Trank has an interesting vision of Marvel's first family. Will I check it out? Of course I will. I'm a glutton for punishment. That's what I do. But I know for a fact that it's not going to it's not going to vibe with a lot of people. Some things we could people let slide, but other things, you know, especially if it's a, a a super huge departure, like I said Dr. Doom being some sort of a hacker instead of, you know, the leader of Latveria and wearing the fucking mask and shit. I'm sure it it'll be inevitable that he'll have some sort of a mask. But Dr. Doom is Dr. Doom, you know, like that's, 
you can't you can't switch that around and make the guy some sort of a hacker. It's just it's just it just doesn't it doesn't fit right. But again, I'll wait till the first trailer comes out to to have a really um accurate assessment. But um, you know, what what can I say? I will say this, uh, Slick mentions a uh, Fantastic Four. You know, it's funny they gave Wrath of the Titans on cable. Uh, Slick and I went to see Wrath of the Titans at, at a press screening, and we watched that film. And I came out of there and I said, "Wow, that's ninety minutes of my life that I will never get back." And the reason was not because I thought the film was complete shit, because it was not great, but I really felt that that film just didn't need to be made. Didn't, especially because Sam Worthington has the personality of oak tag paper. That motherfucker is dry as hell. And the fact that they try to shove him down everybody's throats is like, yo, the guy's garbage. Garbage. Like I said, modern day Rutger Hauer has the looks, can't carry a movie. Not to say that Rutger Hauer was that way, but think about it. Most of the stuff Rutger Hauer was in with the exclu- excluding, uh, you know, Hobo with a Shotgun or, you know, some of those movies where he was just an iconic villain. Rutger Hauer is just the guy that you just toss in there because he looks the part. You know, just because Sam Worthington is kind of good looking doesn't mean he should be a leading man. Same thing with Jai Courtney. Jai Courtney's another one. He came from Spartacus. He played the character Varro on Spartacus, a very good character. But then they just kept trying to force this guy to be, you know, he's been a bit character and everything. He was in Divergent. Uh, he played Bruce Willis's son in Die Hard. It's like, yo, he's not a leading man. Exactly. Slick straight to Cable. Sam Worthington is a cable, a cable star, you know, same thing with Jai Courtney. They just don't have that presence. They don't exude that presence, but that's the kind of shit Hollywood shoves down your throat. Anyway, let me not beat, beat around the bush any further and drag this out. Um, that last bit of uh, news with regards to, uh, the brand new X-Men apocalypse film actually is the final bit of entertainment news for the week. Uh, A couple of things before we wrap up. Be on the lookout for our review of Black Seas by uh, starring Jude Law. Like I said, I am going to do a written review, but I am also going to bring back the Minority Film Report. I may use it for Black Seas. And, you know, we're going to have some audio from the press event that Danny from Royal Flush attended that was is so kind to share with us. And also, I may probably do a Minority Film Report for the interview as well. So be on the lookout for that. Those two, those two shows will be released first to, to uh, my take radio app owners. Those guys are going to get it first because they've invested in the app and they're entitled to get that content exclusively. If you want to get your hands on that content first, make sure to pick up the official, my take radio app available for Android, iOS, and windows mobile Costs you one ninety nine. You get mobile wallpapers. You get access to 96 K stereo episodes of the show and Proceeds from the sale of the app, of course, go towards improving the show, improving the site to give you guys a better experience. All right, that's going to wrap it up, guys. We will be back next Wednesday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific for our MMA and wrestling edition. Of course, we will be discussing the fallout from the Royal Rumble. Make sure to go to RageWorks.net and check out Lucha Lee's Royal Rumble contest. Uh, Very easy to enter. You pick your superstar, pick what number he's in, and if your superstar and the number you pick 
win the Royal Rumble, you will get a prize courtesy of RageWorks and Lucha Lee. Make sure you check that out. It is on RageWorks.net. And also look for Lucha Lee on Facebook and give him a follow if you have any questions. On behalf of myself, Slick, and the rest of the MTR family, as always, thank you guys for your continued support. And thank you guys for tuning in. I will see you guys next week. Peace. I'm rich, bitch. Everything, everything, that's all, folks.